Welcome to the Period Story Podcast, the podcast where we get behind some of the myths and misconceptions about periods. We chat with women about their period story, their first period, their journey ever since, and we open up a conversation to help break taboos and stigmas around menstruation. I'm your host, Denise Brothers. I'm a yoga teacher and registered nutritionist specializing in women's health, hormones, and the menstrual cycle. I'm also the author of You Can Have a Better Period, the book Publishers Weekly calls an empowering debut, an informative, refreshing take on women's health. It's available from Amazon, Bookshop, and anywhere else you purchase books. You are in for a real treat. This is such a brilliant episode. I'm so pleased to share my conversation with Katie Ewan. She's a reflexologist and a fertility awareness educator. She so honestly shares her story of the effects her menstrual cycle has had on her mental health and how she's had to navigate OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, and PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, and what this means for her in the luteal phase, so the 10 days before her next period starts. Thank you so much for coming on to the show today, Katie. I'm so excited to speak to you. No, oh, thanks for having me. It's, it's lovely to be here. So let's get into the first question that I ask all of my guests, which is tell me the story of your very first period. So my actual first period was like, let's say actual, it'll make sense in a second, um, was like pretty non-eventful. I was like just at home and it started and like my mom had always had like She'd never like hidden her like tampons or anything. So I always knew like what everything was, where it was. Like she'd been really good with me. So like she was like, here's what you need, like just make yourself comfortable. And like that was it. But I'd had some bleeding. And probably, I say bleeding, it was like probably like a tiny bit of spotting, maybe like a year before. And I was on holiday with my dad and I freaked out and I was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I had my like stepmom and stepsisters outside the toilet, like trying to tell me how to put a tampon in. And I was like, so I wanted to go swimming. We we're on holiday. And I was just like having a meltdown. And now I'm like, oh, it was like the tiniest bit of spotting. And like, I thought that was a period. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's kind of funny thinking about that now. But yeah, I'd kind of forgotten that it happened. And then I was reminded a little while ago. I was like, oh, yeah, that actually did happen. So yeah, that's quite funny. But how, how old were you? I think I so. I was 12 when I got my like first like true period and then I must have been like 11 when that happened and was just like freaking out so it's kind of funny now but yeah. (laughs) So you had that spotting and that kind of adventure with the tampon and then how long did it take for you to get a uh, so-called true period? It's hard to remember but I guess maybe a year or so later it was a little while later. Right. Yeah. So you had you had that moment with a tampon and the spotting when you were 11. And then you got your period when you were 12. And in between that time, had you been spotting throughout? Not that I can remember. It's, it is hard to remember. So I'm saying it's a year, but like it could have been less. Like it is really kind of, it's still quite hazy now. But um, not that I recall. I remember like when I did get my first like true period when I was about 12 and being like oh this is quite different to what I'd experienced before and being like oh okay this is this is what they talk about (laughs) rather than yeah the tiny bit of spotting but um as far as I remember there wasn't anything in between okay and so 
how did you know what was going to happen? So had you been receiving education in school? Did your mom have like in-depth chats with you about it? Yeah, we definitely had some stuff at school, but like it was pretty minimal from what I can recall. I think it was like, you're going to have a period, it'll come about once a month, like here's a sanitary pad, here's a tampon and like that was it. And then it was just like sex education of um, like how not to get pregnant kind of thing. And um, sitting there at 14 and being like, well, I'm gay, so none of this applies to me was also just an interesting experience. Um, But yeah, so we definitely had some stuff at school. And then, yeah, as I said, my mum was like always pretty open and honest about stuff. She definitely had got some like books and things around the house. So like we'd like read some bits together and stuff. She was actually like really, really like good with all of it. And like it didn't feel um, like a shock or um, like I didn't understand what was going to happen. I mean, outside of my period, I obviously like didn't know anything about the stuff that happens in between one period to the next. But yeah. um, in terms of like getting your period, like, yeah, my mum was pretty like good with all of it. But the school education, I mean, that's another story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then in terms of your experience of your period, what mm. was what was the first period like in terms of and then I guess after into your teenage years in terms of like, was it painful? Was it just kind of really easy? You know, tell mm. tell us a little bit more about that. I never struggled too much with pain as such, maybe some sort of like grumbling cramps, but like that was kind of as bad as the pain got, but I'd always just be exhausted to the point that like, even my stepdad would like know when I was on my period because I'd just be like white as a sheet because I was just be so depleted so like that was definitely something that I sort of struggled with I just feel yeah absolutely exhausted when I was on my period and then going into like my teenage years definitely so like I have a long history of struggling with my mental health so I've got um, obsessive compulsive disorder which wasn't diagnosed like I probably had it since I was five and didn't get diagnosed until I was 22 or 23 so like a long time of not being diagnosed and I definitely noticed um 10 days before my period or like as I started to track my period a bit more as in like using an app and then it would be like your period's 10 days away and I'd be like I'm not coping and um that would be like the biggest challenge was this sort of like the time before my period suddenly having like very intensified intrusive thoughts and like just not being able to cope with them so I say like PMS or like PMDD has definitely been like the biggest struggle that I've had in terms of my period so more the impact that like the hormonal fluctuations have had on my mental health as opposed to like the heaviness or like pain and things like that's definitely been like my experience and struggle there. So talk a little bit more firstly I because I this is really interesting and I'd love to unpack Mm. um, some of this talk a little bit first about the OCD so Mm. um, obsessive compulsive disorder and yeah. did you say you were first diagnosed when you were five or you first became aware of it when you were five? I it first became aware of being like very anxious and very worried at that age. Like I was always yeah. worrying about something like the wind would whistle between um, like in a like an alley between our house and the next. And I thought our house was going to fall down and was convinced of that so I think just to kind of like backtrack a bit I think a lot of people think of obsessive compulsive disorder as and I mean stereotypes often exist for a reason but that kind of like tidying orderly cleanliness thing but there's 
lots of variations of obsessive compulsive disorder. So you have the obsession. So the thing that you're kind of worrying about, essentially, that you're obsessing over. And then there's the compulsion. So performing some sort of behavior to, I guess, protect yourself from the obsession happening. So it makes sense in terms of if people were, so like COVID being a prime example for a lot of people struggling with OCD of like, there's germs around, they're worried about them getting sick, someone they care about getting sick, even making a stranger sick kind of thing. So they'll compulsively like wash their hands to make sure like there's no germs on them. But obviously, how do you know when there are no germs on your hands anymore? So these compulsions can get completely out of hand and like completely debilitating. So my experience of it was having all um, internal like mental compulsions. So like ruminating on things, um, trying to make sense of like bodily sensations. So I, for most of my life, up until very recently, mistook um, a, a wave of anxiety as like a gut feeling. So I would have some like awful thought about something and have this wave of anxiety and be like, oh my goodness, it must mean that's true. So I had it about relationships. I had it about my sexuality. Like OCD tends to the obsessions tend to like pinpoint around things that you either really, really care about or things that you find um, repulsive, abhorrent. So like it often comes up around like quite taboo subjects and people find it very difficult to talk about. So, I mean, I was a child when I had some obsessions about like it, it will come up about things that are in the news. So thinking about like, I mean, let be really frank about it. Like I first came aware of paedophiles because of school and being like, watch out on the internet, be safe on the internet. And then I was like, am I a paedophile? It's like, I was a child then, but like getting these thoughts in your head and just going around and around and around and around and around. And because I had like no external compulsions, no one spotted it as OCD for like over 20 years. So it was completely debilitating and has been very debilitating even like I had a really bad episode a few months ago which like really took me by surprise and um and like we actually had this interview that like, you reached out to like do this interview and I was like I actually can't at this point because I was like in the midst of this like episode that I had I hadn't had one like that since I was like 19 so it was like quite scary and um and that has very much been in line with my menstrual cycle as to when I'll have these episodes and when they'll start. So I have to be really conscious of like how I'm looking after myself and like particularly coming into that luteal phase of like, okay, I know that things can kind of ramp up for me here if I've not been looking after myself. Like what are the things I need to have in place to make sure that I don't give any like tiny amount of um, meaning to these thoughts because they don't have any meaning. Like it's so much of OCD is basically how you respond to the thoughts. It's like everyone has intrusive thoughts. Mm. Like I see it in clients when um, maybe they've just had a baby and then they're worried about like harming their baby in some way. Like that's an intrusive thought. Like we all have them. It's about how you respond to them. So that's the thing I've had to learn is be like, just because I have these thoughts doesn't mean they mean anything. <laughs> so mm. um so yeah, I mean, that's kind of a bit of a background into like OCD, but yeah, in terms of then my menstrual cycles, like um, my first girlfriend, I would break up with her on a monthly basis and it was like 100% OCD and line in like completely in line with my periods. So. Wow. So can you just, it sounds like you, you have a really good understanding of the layers of, mm. of, the OCD and then how then 
it ties into the changes in mm. hormones and neurotransmitters yeah. um, as they go up and down through the menstrual cycle. Can you just talk a little bit more about kind of hormonally? You might not be able to speak to this, but I'm just curious, um, hormonally and in terms of what's going on with the neurotransmitters, what what do you think the primarily the issue is? Is it the drop in serotonin? Is it the drop, like the drop in estrogen, which is affected then serotonin, glutamate and acetylcholine? Like, do you know more about that kind of side of it? Not specifically, but um, I can speak to it in terms of my experience with fertility awareness, because I became aware of, so I'm a fertility awareness mentor. And when I was doing my training, we had to like learn fertility awareness and use it on our own cycles. And I'd never tracked in that great amount of depth compared to when we were doing this. And my tutor looked at my charts and it was taking me quite a while to get my head around like how to use the observations and things. So like my chart was quite sparse. There wasn't a lot of information on there. And she just looked at it and straight away went, well, you've got a seven day luteal phase and that should be about 12 to 14. And she's like, I'm not surprised at all that you have such a drastic drop in your mood because your progesterone levels are just so minimal compared to what they could and should be so I've always noticed that it was like yeah 10 days before my period that I'm guessing as estrogen was starting to drop for me that that's when things would really the intrusive thoughts would intensify and then that makes sense again with like the serotonin drop um in terms of the other neurotransmitters admittedly I'm not that clued up on that element of it but um but definitely, yeah, that was like a real wake up call of her being like, well, if you can lengthen your luteal phase, I imagine your symptoms will improve quite a lot. And so we did a lot of unpicking of like, how do you improve your luteal phase? And um, a lot of that for me was like through diet and nutrition and like literally eating more. <laughs> like I come from a dance background, so you can imagine the kind of messages around eating and things that you can carry from that. And um like that alone was a game changer and amongst some other things. And I had, I've had a few cycles now where like the drop is far, far less. And it just, it it means obviously like you're not dreading, like feeling like, well, feeling great before like ovulation. Like I've always felt really good kind of like just after my period and like a week after, and then being like, here we go, what's going to (laughs) happen. And it's like living like two different versions of yourself. And yeah, so I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the progesterone side is really interesting mm. because your is that's kind of the, one of our feel good hormones. So, and we only mm. make it when we ovulate, and then we yeah. have the link between pre- progesterone and GABA, which is this neurotransmitter yes. that we make in our brain. That is, it's like natural xanax um (laughs) and it's interesting to me that you immediately were able to make the link between changing what you ate and Mm. then the changes in how how much progesterone because effectively this is about how much progesterone you made when you ovulate um Mm. so tell us a little bit more about what you did to um increase or to support ovulation effectively A huge part of it was definitely looking at diet and nutrition and the amount of protein I was eating. Um, Like I didn't realize 
all the kind of baggage I was carrying around food from being at dance school, essentially. I thought I'd kind of gotten away quite lightly, really. Like my weight wasn't commented on when we were there, but um, there were lots of people in my year that were very actively told, like, you need to lose weight, your bum's too big, like this and that. And like, obviously, you do kind of absorb that messaging, like whether it's said directly to you or not, which I definitely didn't appreciate until I was challenged on what I was eating. And then, and I I found it so confronting to be like, oh, maybe I need to eat more. And yeah, I really, I I had so much hesitation around it. And I was like, oh, I don't want to and blah. And I learned fertility awareness with Lisa Hendricks and Jack. And she said to me, but like, if you want to feel different, then like, you might want to try basically just eating more. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Uh, uh, uh." (laughs) Like felt really like stressed out about it. And then I was like, okay, like not dancing anymore for work. Like I don't, I don't need like, no, I mean, no one needs to look the way that that industry desires you to look, but let's just try it and see. And I just started like really thinking about my protein intake because that was very minimal up to that considerably, like a lot. And, um, and yeah, just sort of thinking about what I'm eating throughout a day, like what kind of snacks am I having? I'm an absolute sucker for a four o'clock chocolate break. And like, just thinking like, am I actually hungry here? Like, do I need to eat something rather than being like, just need some sugar <laughs> and um, just trying to like address those things. And then it was a few months later, I was due on my period and I was so confused because I did not at all feel like I was due on my period. Like I felt really good. And I was like, okay, I think this is what she's talking about. And like, I'd put on a tiny bit of weight at the time I was very stressed out about it. And now I'm like, well, my clothes still fit me. Yeah. I need to buy a size up pair of jeans, but I'm like, but I feel good. And like seeing that difference of like actually appreciating, oh, maybe I need to eat more (laughs) to feel better. was just this like massive, like I felt like my mind had been blown a bit and it's something that I'm really like passionate about talking to clients about like when I teach fertility awareness or even just with reflexology as well of you need to make sure you're eating enough and I'll always point people to nutritionists if they need additional support but like seeing at least my experience and then now clients experiences of like I feel so different because the messaging I've been told my whole life of like move more eat less isn't necessarily true (laughs) of how to like feel good and I just think oh it's it's such it's so sad that particularly as women we're like socialized this way to be as tiny as you possibly can be and now I'm like no (laughs) like so yeah that was like a huge part of it like some supplementation but like really making sure like the groundwork was there before adding supplements in so like now I'll take magnesium I'll take b6 in the luteal phase so that's kind of all I'm doing at the moment I think I'm gonna start on some agnus castor so vitex just to see how that works for me but um yeah just be just a note of caution um with agnes Kasser. yes um you want to be really clear on when you take it in your mm. cycle um because you know this is you know a lot of listeners will have heard of um, yeah yeah chase berry agnes Kasser's vitex is known by all three names mm. um and it's like one of those <laughs> supplements has herbs that's always recommended as a kind of this will help to fix your period problem yeah like a bit of a cure-all 
Exactly. Like, like maca. It's, that's another mm-hmm. one of those mm-hmm. herbs, but you have to be really careful with maca. You have to be careful because it's can be very estrogenic. And so with someone right. with fibroids, you don't yeah, want yeah, to take no. in maca. <laughs> um, but then with Agnes Castus, you want to make sure that you're taking it typically in the second half of your mm-hmm. cycle, just, just around ovulation, because it's so powerful. Um, and you're yeah. using it to really help support mm-hmm. ovulation and progesterone production. Um, and, you know, I know this isn't a consultation, but I just had to <laughs> add that, add that in. Yeah, yeah, totally. See it recommended so often. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had this brand approach to me saying, did I want to work with them? Um, and I had to say no because they yeah. included it in, and they were saying, take this all, all cycle long. And I was like, no, no. you really can't. Yeah. Um, but it, when it works, it can be so powerful. Yeah. Like I've heard this and like, I haven't tried it yet because of like all the kind of like caution around it. Like again, in my training, it was like, this shouldn't be your first resort. Like yeah. get your foundations in place, make sure you're eating enough, making sure like you've got like stress management practices in place. Like look at your exercise, like looking at all these like sort of like foundational elements before being like, I'm just going to take this thing. <laughs> and yeah. um, cause like you don't want to be missing out on the other good stuff and the impacts that can have on all of the systems of your body, not just like your reproductive system. Yeah. Um, what I think is actually a really interesting alternative to um, Vitex Agnes Castus is um, vitamin E. Oh, so yeah, so vitamin E is really powerful for supporting the balance between estrogen and progesterone. And I like to recommend it for clients who have issues around ovulation where mm. either they are they're not ovulating every cycle or they're not making enough progesterone when they, when they ovulate. Um, And I personally think that there are fewer, it's for fat soluble vitamins. So you need to make sure you're taking the right dosage, Mm -hmm. but it's definitely, I think it's a better alternative to Vitex, which is so stimulating on the, on the brain. Yeah. So yeah, that's just a kind of a few thoughts from me on that. Oh, learn something new every day. <laughs> um, but then to just going back to your story, because I, mm. I find this so fascinating that mm. you, you know, you had this, you have had these experiences and although, you know, we, you often hear people talk about their stories and they don't not they don't always talk about how they're coping with it currently so Mm. you hear the people in this space talk about their period problems they've had in the past but they don't talk about what's going on with them now and I really like I really applaud your honesty about you know what you went with went through at the end Mm. of last year Mm. um and you know the episode as you called it that you Mm. had um and I think that's really important because with all of this, health is a journey and yeah. things change and new things will come into play. Like you might experience a new stressor like COVID, for example. Yeah. And it can throw, so even with mental health, it feels like it's almost like 
almost like Tetris, not Tetris, Jenga in a way. Yeah. You've got this <laughs> tower that you've created yeah. and everything is in nicely. It's stacked nicely. And once something can come along like COVID and take a few of the like blocks out and it's teetering. Yeah. And I, I like, I, I just think it's so interesting to be able to say, okay, this is what I've done in the past, but current events have affected the way I feel now. And I need to revisit and be aware that this is an ongoing practice. Um, and then just in terms of then layering on, you called it, you said PMS, but you've also said PMDD. Mm. Um, how, how does that come into play? With the OCD and like, yeah. 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 So it's definitely, yeah, historically, it's always been about like 10 days before my period comes that I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> I can feel like these intrusive thoughts, like creeping in whatever they're about like OCD has a wonderful habit of being like a shapeshifter so like you'll just sort of get to grips with like one obsession then it'll just move on to something else and you're like great <laughs> um but yeah so about 10 days before kind of can feel the intrusive thoughts like creeping in and it's just basically like I, I don't it's like I don't feel as resilient to them like sometimes these thoughts will come up and I'll be like yeah I know exactly what that is like move on with my day forget it even happened almost and then there'll be other times where something will come up and it's like it's like it's got bite to it and you're like oh what what's that about and then you kind of start exploring this thought and that's basically giving the thought meaning Mm. and um and it's just so once you start doing that, it's just a slippery slope. And like as I my period with an approach and like hormonally there's less and less supporting you, like that just intensifies and snowballs. And then it would get to like the point of my period and would just be a mess, really. Yeah. <laughs> like there's been times where like I have been so disassociated that I'm like, I couldn't tell you what was real almost. And um so then it's like my period will come and it's just like this massive wave of relief of like oh okay like I think this has been and it's like every time like if it's particularly intense it's like I'll sometimes forget that like okay my hormones aren't really supporting me at this point so my period will come and it's almost like oh thank god (laughs) like and um the few days after that like it can take a while to kind of if you've been in that heightened state of anxiety it can take some time for that to de-escalate so then it's like you have those few days of bleeding and it can de-escalate and you kind of maybe calm down and then it's like oh okay get to like day like three or four and then be like okay I think I think I'm all right yeah <laughs> maybe if there hasn't been too much of like an aftermath of whatever the OCD is like picked up then I might be able to kind of like recover and be like oh, okay like yeah I'm good right here we go then there's maybe like a week, 10, 12 days, and then it would like off it would go again. So like, I mean, it's not always as um extreme as that. Like it can yeah. be much more, those shifts can be more subtle, like like you say, depending on your Jenga tower and like what yeah. other kind of well, how stable that is at the time, then like I'm far more able to like cope with different things. But um yeah, just sometimes things can knock you a bit. And then if though if that like if those foundations are shaky, then it can just really take hold but something yeah I've had to really learn is like I just have to not give these thoughts any meaning from the start it's like as soon as you start to give them meaning it's just so easy for it to snowball into something that because yeah when you're very anxious like your rational brain isn't working in the same way so like you can just take yourself down these roads that you you think at the time are very logical (laughs) and then you can look back and be like how on earth 
did I get from like A to Z in like two seconds? <laughs> like, because it can be fast as well. That's the thing. It can just once it it was yeah snowballing, isn't it? Where it's like once it goes, it goes. <laughs> and um, yeah. so yeah. And so, have you had any? any support from like yes. a mental health professional to help you with yeah. like a toolbox for when I've, these thoughts do come in? Yeah. I've been really fortunate that I've been able to access therapy for the last four years. Um, and like that has been privately. So like you have to acknowledge like the privilege there of being able to like see a private therapist for that amount of time, but that has truly been life-saving for me. And um, so I've had, um, it's a type of cognitive behavioral therapy. So you often hear CBT mentioned, but the like kind of gold standard treatment for OCD is um, exposure response prevention therapy. So it's essentially you being exposed to the things you're obsessing about. And that is going to raise your anxiety. And then you have to sit with that discomfort and not perform your compulsions, whatever they may be. So compulsions... Um, people perform them because they temporarily reduce that anxiety. So if you don't do the compulsion, the anxiety is going to increase for a time. And then naturally you kind of realize, oh, the bad thing hasn't happened. And then it comes down. So you're continually exposing yourself to different things. And like, it's, it's, it's hard work. It's really hard work. Um, And then, yeah, in time, you basically sort of come to realize that that particular thing isn't necessarily true or it's not as you're making it out to be in your head. Um, it's not unsafe because I think that's the thing is like it, people have these compulsions largely because they'll feel unsafe or uncertain or scared about something. And you yeah, learn that, okay, that thing's not going to happen. And as I said, OCD can be a real shapeshifter. It can pinpoint itself onto different things. So you have to do different exposures for different things. And it is definitely like ongoing work. At least it has been for me. Um, and yeah, so definitely like accessing therapy was like the biggest game changer. Like I actually originally came to reflexology as a way to help manage the anxiety, but I was undiagnosed at that point And my poor mum didn't know what, like, she didn't know what we were dealing with and she went, she'd seen a reflexologist that would really help her feel calmer. And I think that was kind of the approach we took for a while of like, how do we manage this? Cause I don't think we really recognize what well, we didn't, we didn't recognize it for what it was because there at, definitely at the time was so little information about OCD, particularly in the way it was presenting for me. Mm. Um, so yeah, like had support with like reflexology and like tried to do some therapy before like counseling and things, but just, um, was undiagnosed so some approaches when it for all mental health conditions you need to have the right therapy to make sure you're receiving the correct support yeah two follow-up questions off mm-hmm. the back of that so the first one is do you you've talked about these thoughts and how there's anxiety around them are there and is there like a positive side of it you know do you have any find that are there like any positive obsession things that you get obsessed with but it's like actually positive like maybe say the work you do right you get obsessed with a certain aspect of it and that's actually quite motivating I guess so I mean there's not I mean, it's great that there's not the same like anxiety driving it, but because yeah. <laughs> I think like that's the because I often think, gosh, if I could like use my brain in like the speed that it can perform at like when it's obsessing in a and in a negative way. But I guess, yeah, like I can definitely 
I'm very interested and passionate about this work and like yeah. it's I, I guess you, you could call it an obsession that's for sure <laughs> so I think it can kind of um having a mind that can be very particular I guess can be a really good thing and like when you're running your own business like you have to be like quite on top of stuff so I guess like there are positives it's funny I've never actually been asked that question and given it that much thought so that's quite it's quite funny thinking of it like that <laughs> And then I wondered what your thoughts were on, you know, when you hear people say, oh, like, I'm so ACD, when they talk about, you know, like, I think of David David Beckham talking about how the way he organizes his kitchen cupboards um, and how the labels have to all be face forward and how he talks about it as being part of his OCD. And, you know, I don't know if he truly has OCD. Yeah. I remember that just sticking in my mind, thinking like that just felt weird as we were <laughs> talking about it. And I just wondered what your thoughts were about, you know, the way that people talk about OCD kind of in the culture. I mean, honestly, it drives me up the wall. Like it's, it's so, and I get it. Like, again, talking about the stereotypes of things of like orderliness, cleanliness, and people will just go like, like someone will like tidy up the house and be like, oh, I'm just a bit OCD. I'm like, I think you like to live in a tidy environment. And like, <laughs> that's fine. Like, great. Like, I think most of us do. But um, I think if people understood the distress and the destruction and how like debilitating OCD can be, I don't think people would talk about it like that. Like, I like I genuinely feel like I lost my teenage years to OCD and just being anxious and and like I say anxious but like it's a it's like a debilitating type of anxiety but also there's so much energy behind it and like I was really struggling when I was at dance school but that environment weirdly not in a positive way but kind of like lent itself to that kind of like frantic energy because I could just burn it off because I'd be dancing all day and I'd stay when I was in these like heightened states or in the midst of like very difficult episodes I would be getting praised by the dance school for being like oh like you're staying like bearing in mind we've been there eight until six I'd stay six until nine and do extra classes because I was like I need to exhaust myself because I'm running off of adrenaline dancing literally for about 12 hours at that point because I was too scared to go home because I was like I'm gonna be obsessing and I'm just too scared to go home I think if people understood what it was like to live like that I I I just don't think people would be like oh yeah I'm just a bit OCD and I'm just like sure (laughs) like and I can't that's kind of how like often when people say things I just I, I, I don't go into it because it's like you don't necessarily want to pour your heart out every time of being like this has been like the most difficult thing I've ever had to face throughout my life and um and I know other people that have struggled with it. And it's just like, you just wouldn't wish it on anyone. You wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. So for people to be like, haha, yeah, I'm just a bit OCD. I've like color coordinated my books. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I really appreciate your honesty. And I think this will be really helpful for anyone listening who has either said something like that and yeah <laughs> and like pause. we've all done it like yeah. like I mean a completely different thing but when I was a teenager everyone would be like oh that's so gay and I'd say it and it's like I'm a gay person <laughs> like 
I like we, like we've all we've all done it like we just have to learn yeah yeah definitely um that's so retro actually so, yeah that's so gay that's so such a retro <laughs> yeah, like, like, oh so gay like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So let's shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about the work that you do, Mm. because you mentioned it as a way, as kind of an entry point to managing the anxiety Mm. around the OCD. Um, But talk a little bit more about what reflexology actually is. So reflexology is a holistic therapy um, where it's performed, well, I mostly work on people's feet. So everyone's like, oh, you touch feet all day. And I'm like, yep. And I love it. (laughs) So we usually perform it on the feet, the hands. You can also do it on the face and the ears. And um, we believe different parts of the body are mapped out in these extremities. So these little areas that you can like um, massage into using different techniques. Um, so these areas we call reflexes, hence reflexology. And we believe that by working into them, we can have an impact throughout the whole body. So it's like a similar concept, not, it doesn't like the theories behind it are different, but similar concept to acupuncture in that, like we're working on one area of body, but having an impact elsewhere. So it's like a deeply relaxing therapy. Like that's one of the things that I think people find, um, the most surprising about it is that like it's you're just working on the feet and it's it's non-invasive i give quite gentle treatments and i think people are really shocked at the full body impact they can feel during the treatment and then after like a lot of people feel like they get sort of like tingling or these waves like going through their body and um so it is like a real full bodied experience even though like we are just working on the feet and like the lower part of the calves sometimes like that's as far well that's as much of your body as I'd be touching and um so yeah it's yeah deeply relaxing like on another level kind of relaxing and um I think yeah that's definitely why I came to it was to help kind of bring that anxiety down like a level or two and um and the reflexologist I used to see I um like I would definitely feel so much better for going, but I definitely didn't fully relax because I'd be sat up watching her being like, what are you doing? What's that? <laughs> What's that bit? And um, I was just so fascinated by it. Like before I tried it, I was like, that sounds like the biggest load of rubbish. Definitely not the word I used. Um, I was just like, that that can't be a thing. Like, I don't understand how that could work. Like big eye roll, like, all right, mum, like, fine I'll try and came out just like oh my goodness like she knew like like I was having headaches she asked me about my periods she could tell I had like like my hips were sore because like I was like training a lot dancing at the time and I was just like I didn't I just was so shocked (laughs) I was like I don't understand how this works and um so yeah like it's it's a really great treatment like particularly around like stress anxiety it's great for sleep and then also supporting like other conditions so the menstrual cycle digestive issues I've definitely seen it have very positive impacts on and um as I was sort of training in this work my partner has endometriosis and because I needed feet to practice on I was always practicing on her feet and she was like this is making a massive difference for me this is weird. And um, so the more I kind of went into it and then discovering there's these whole areas of reflexology that are purely about fertility and supporting the menstrual cycle. And it just really sparked this 
passion and interest and obsession <laughs> about um about this work and that was how I kind of segued into the fertility awareness element of it all um but yeah just seeing the impact that this very gentle treatment can have is just incredible and like seeing the difference like as with a lot of holistic treatments it does like kind of require some consistent sessions and like it does have an accumulative effect so kind of the more frequently you're able to come like the more you're going to kind of see those changes and obviously working with the menstrual cycle sometimes we don't see those changes until like three to six months there's some immediate relief definitely with like kind of maybe the stress around it some pms symptoms like a reduction in some pain but that kind of like long-term effect we'll see later down the line um but when you get to work with clients and you see those changes it's like this is this is really cool. <laughs> yeah. And so is it similar to, well, actually, can you differentiate between reflexology and massage? Because I know some yeah. people might think, oh, well, I can just get a really great foot massage and isn't that yeah. the same thing? So can you just delineate the two? So with reflexology, if you see a reflexologist, they'll be trained specifically on where these different areas are mapped, being able to tailor a treatment. So we're working into reflexes that are going to support you. So I always um, have a consultation with people beforehand. So like I really understand their history, what issues they've been having. And that really helps me to tailor their treatment to also understand where they are in their menstrual cycle. So again, I can work the correct reflexes in the correct way. So we have different techniques that we use. So um, compared to a massage where it might just be kind of more I just can't think of a better way of describing it, but these kind of like stroking, like rhythmic kind of movements. Like there are yeah. elements of that, but we're really um, working like a lot with the thumbs, like a lot with the thumbs and like individually pressing. Imagining if your thumb, trying to think how to describe this without having a visual of um, your thumb sort of like walking up different areas of the foot and like working into them with these tiny little sort of caterpillar steps is a way to describe it and um so by working into these individual reflexes the other thing that would differentiate um aside from the treatment planning compared um to massage to reflexology when you're with a reflexologist we're trained to detect where these sensitivities are so when you're having a reflexology session there might be certain areas where you're like oh that's quite sensitive or when you get a knot in your back, like that sensation in your foot, but on a much smaller level or almost like there's bubble wrap under the skin. And we're working specifically into those areas where we feel those sensations because that's where we would say there's like a blockage and we want to kind of try and ease that up a bit. And sometimes these um, areas, like these congested areas are going to show up consistently. So if someone's got um, an ongoing condition or like health um diagnosis um so say someone had like Crohn's disease for example like their digestive system is going to continually feel congested if someone has endometriosis where they have endo these reflexes are going to continually feel congested so we want to make sure we're always working on them but if you've got something like you've had a headache or a cold like the reflexes so like your fingers are your sinus reflexes for instance like you want to work into those, but the congestion might kind of like come and go as these things come and go, if that makes sense. Can you do reflexology on yourself? You definitely can. Yeah. So I do a lot of workshops with people, like showing them how to do reflexology on themselves. It's great if you can get someone to do it on you. So if like 
I do workshops, I'll kind of sometimes encourage like if you've got someone around, you want to do it on each other, like that can be really nice because that way you get to switch off a bit. Because I think the magic comes from the treatments because you are able to just fully switch off. So I really encourage clients to do like some reflexology on themselves as kind of maintenance. Like if they're really struggling with sleep, then doing some before they go to bed can be a really like nourishing and like calming way to like wind down and like prepare you for bed and things like that. Mm. And that maintenance kind of, of um, if you have digestive issues that like run with your cycle, then like working into those reflexes at different times. But I think the magic really comes when you're able to just like totally switch off for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's basically, there's a map of the foot and yeah. I, I've seen those and like every part of the foot is di- related to different parts yes. of the body. And so I guess in theory, you, you're, it's, I guess it's like, as you say, it's like acupuncture where there are different, is it meridians? So in acupuncture, it's meridians. There's not as much like research into reflexology, which is like such a shame. I wish there was. Um, But there's lots of different theories. So it's kind of like one of them zone theory. Um, So there's different zones of the body. So your big toe, if you were to kind of like run down the foot. So the big toe is like the head reflex. And that's zone one. So going the whole way down that like inside edge of the foot is zone one. And then with each toe, you go out a zone and it's kind of like then going like from if you had a line running down the center of your body then going out the way of the zone so like your shoulders are in zone five so we kind of often think that's like just underneath your little toe it's like the shoulder reflex or just underneath your uh little finger would be the shoulder reflex so there's this kind of theory of zones if there's like a blockage in that part of the zone maybe there's going to be in like the rest of the zone so kind of making the zones more balanced and then there's also another theory of like you do reflexology at the extremities. So there's lots of nerve endings in the hands and the feet. So one theory sort of being that by working into these nerve endings, we can have an impact sort of like sending these signals back up the body. So that's like another kind of theory. So it's slightly different to acupuncture. And like I say, there there isn't the same amount of research into it, which is like, I love the science. So I wish there was, (laughs) but um that thing of, and I guess it is anecdotal evidence. We have to kind of acknowledge some of that, but seeing the difference between clients when they come in and when they come out of a session and having had regular sessions, like I think for a lot of people, it takes experiencing reflexology to be like, oh, wow, this is, this is great. And that definitely was my experience because I was like, that's not a thing. (laughs) And now now I do it for a living. (laughs) Yeah. So if someone has period problems so like Mm -hmm. painful periods yes they could come to you Mm -hmm. um for a series of sessions and they would see a difference in their period pain yeah it's different for everyone like I say some people get more kind of immediate relief some people it can really help in the kind of the longer term or help with the symptoms like around their cycle that they get as well So I really like to see people thinking of that kind of supporting people through all stages of their cycle. I really like to see people ideally once before they ovulate and once after and or um, depending on when they get their symptoms. So if people find like they they start to get pain a few days before their period or like they know their period's due, I'm like, okay, I'd like to see you a few days before that to kind of let's keep this at bay. Let's keep it everything nice and calm and like stop anything like flaring up too much that we know about like stress and inflammation on the body and all those things so like if we can keep that calmer then like that's going to have a really positive impact or someone who hasn't experienced like myself for instance of 
knowing their mood really dips, I'll be like, okay, I'd try and come a few days before. You know that happens if you're tracking your cycle. Let's get you in a few days before that. And then maybe like a week or so later to kind of really keep this calm. So it depends. Um, treatment plans depend for different things. Um, but yeah, before and after ovulation is a good way to start having regular sessions. And then, yeah, pinpointing depending on the issue. So like whether that's pain, pinpointing the treatments around when you experience that. Mood changes, pinpointing when you um experience those changes okay so if someone's listening and they they're thinking i need some of that Mm. how can they get in touch with you how can they book in for a few sessions with you so you can go to my website, which is www.reflexeast.com. Um, I'm also, yeah, under Reflex East most of the time. Um, so you can book in there or find me on Instagram, which is just Reflex East. Um, and there's all the booking links there. So feel free to DM me and have a chat about it if like you want to discuss anything beforehand. My DMs are always open, but otherwise, yeah, you can just book in like that. Great. You've shared a lot of your story. You been really open about your experience which I think is amazing and I know that will be really helpful for a lot of people Mm -hmm. listening what's the one thought that you would love to leave listeners with today (laughs) um I think just really understanding your cycle gives you so much insight into like how to look after yourself I think um so often we're used to just sort of like running around and like ignoring the things that our body is telling us. And it's like tracking your cycle, understanding when symptoms, whatever they may be, come up and just like really listening to those and being like, okay, what can I take from this that's going to like positively support me? I think, yeah, that understanding is just invaluable. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming oh, on the show today. I, I so appreciate your openness and your honesty. Um, yeah. Thank you again. No, thank you. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for this. For more inspiring conversations, head over to periodstorypod.com where we have so many more for you to peruse. If you want help with your menstrual or hormone health, email me on hello at eatlovemove.com to set up a free 30-minute hormone health review. If you like today's show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Tag us, come say hi, and send in your requests for who you'd like to see on the show on Instagram and Twitter on at periodstorypod or email us at hello at periodstorypod.com. I'm Lenise Brothers, and you've been listening to Period Story. Thank you so much for listening.